Welcome to Rink Wrap, the Bruins podcast with your host, Mick Collagio. Mick has been covering the Bruins since the Boston Garden days and has the guests and the insights on the hockey world from the local to the NHL. So drop what you're doing, drop the puck, and listen in on Rink Wrap with Mick Collagio. Welcome to Rink Wrap, the podcast, episode 12, coming to you from the Standard Times in New Bedford, Mass. I'm your host, Mick Collagio. I write hockey stories when I'm not otherwise occupied for the ST and affiliated weeklies. And you can read my Bruins thoughts on my Rink Wrap blog. The site is blogs.southcoasttoday.com slash Bruins. Rink Wrap, the podcast, can be found at Omni, O-M-N-Y dot F-M, on Google Play and on iTunes. And we link Rink Wrap in our online presentation of Bruins Stories at southcoasttoday.com. Today we've got a few topics to make brief opinions about and two recorded interviews. The first of those was a post-game interview I landed upon last week with Bruins center Riley Nash. The second is a group scrum with former Bruin Willie O'Ree immediately following the January 17 press conference announcing the new Willie O'Ree street hockey rink that will be part of the Smith Playground renovation off Western Ave in Alston Brighton near the Harvard Athletic Complex. On to today's points before we get to those interviews. Charlie McAvoy is number one. Uh, the Bruins scared Tin Pucks fans just a bit with the announcement that McAvoy had undergone an ablation procedure to correct uh, heart arrhythmia. It's considered a minor surgery, expected to keep McAvoy sidelined a couple of weeks. Who knows if he would have gotten a call to Tampa for NHL All-Star Weekend. Great win for the Bruins in Ottawa Thursday. This is point number two. Three, two, and possibly a year ago, the Bruins throw the kitchen sink at any opponent and have nothing to show for it after 20 minutes, and it usually means a loss. This team, minus McAvoy and Brad Marchand, stuck with it, and albeit on a soft goal by Jake DeBrusque, found its way into the winner's circle. Point three. And that seems like it's how it's going to be for this team for a couple of weeks. It may not be pretty, but the wheels don't come off. Zdeno Chara and Brandon Carlo are reunited, but it doesn't change everything because McAvoy is not a gambler in the mold of so many offensemen. He's a powerful two-way playmaker, more in the -the through-the-game mold of Raymond Bork and Drew Doughty, his modern-day counterpart, by the way. That said, playing again with Carlo still means less deferral for Chara in the transition game. Let's see how that goes. Keep an eye on it. Number four, on to Brad Marchand. Just as Claude Julien defended Marchand six years ago after the pesky winger flipped Vancouver defenseman Sammy Sallow in the team's prickly rematch of the 2011 Stanley Cup, so did Bruce Cassidy defend his guy as a target with a right to defend himself. Here is the problem. Marchand has historically targeted as well as been a target. The argument that guys are out to get him only covers about 5% of the league at most. The rest are innocent players looking to make hockey plays, and they're on the end of Marchand's preemptive strikes. The NHL NHL cannot sanction that. Thus, the five-game suspension the star winger is currently serving. If I were him, I'd be embarrassed to participate in the All-Star game. Words add no value to contrition. Actions do. Number five, Riley Nash. The veteran center is an unrestricted free agent at season's end. Uh, Jakob Forsback at Carlson made a Bergeron-esque play at both ends of the rink to help the AHL Providence Bruins score a potentially crucial late-game goal just the other night. It was the kind of play that those watching it expect him to trade 
his P from his sweater for a B next fall. Boston's prospect pipeline looks promising overall, and uh, Forsbacker Carlson certainly looks like a future NHLer. But in my opinion, it is premature to cut ties with Nash. His two-way glue and sturdiness at the center position is a subtle but important difference in the Bruins lineup over the past two seasons. Now that the Bruins have gotten ahead of the curve on the road back towards Stanley Cup contention, cutting ties with Nash could become regrettable a year from now when Carlo and McAvoy have that extra year experience and things could really get serious for the Bruins. I had a rare one-on-one interview with Nash after a home game last week. Here it is. ...to a team concept. Yeah, I think... I mean, I try and watch Bergie a lot because he's obviously one of the best, if not the best... Been like that since he was 18. (laughs) Right, and so... I'm wondering how much earlier in his life he was like that. Yeah, it's obviously, you know, something that was, you know hammered home at a young age or mm-hmm. it's just kind of his personality I think uh, so so I don't know I'm 28 and I still learn a lot of things from him watching mm-hmm. other guys and, like, you need to continue to evolve and adapt your game to and he is too he wasn't like this going to the slot and ripping off shots like this 10, 5 years that wasn't really him you know no, they, they got some good chemistry those guys and I think that happens when you play together a lot Marshy's obviously a world class player Berg is too and passes too so it's there's only five guys on the other team to cover those guys, and you know, like you give them an inch. I've been on the other side, but you, you feel like you're doing a good job, and you don't give them a whole lot, and they still get a shot away. And you're like, well, I was in a pretty good position. I mean, as, as the, with all the new players that have come into the league in the last couple of years, it's necessarily changed the way the game is being played. It's just more. It's just a, you know, it's more of a pinball kind of game. There's a lot of speed involved. Lost the guys who've been around for a while. You have to get better at certain things in order to yeah. continue to I, I think there's be a like player, kind of right? an ebb and flow of you know the the age and the, the length of careers in the NHL right now it's going where it's going super young yeah. I think it's going to come back and kind of it should into a little bit more veteran because you know before the 10 years ago it was very a high veteran presence and now it's mm-hmm. kind of trended in that really young mm-hmm. direction but I think you know it's just just like anything, I think it'll come back to. It's a cycle. Yeah, that's my thought. On, I got no doubt. I think so too. That, but well, I think, you know, like a lot of guys retired at that lockout year that there was no NHL season, and then, and this is probably the most integration of young players around the whole league over like a two-year period that I've seen since then. Mm-hmm. And then in between that, it seemed like at least, obviously for the Bruins, they had a, a set team. Because yeah. they had hit, they had built toward their peak, and and now re- retooling that. There's a lot of teams that are doing that kind of yeah. It's a tough job. You got to kind of retool on the fly. Don't don't take yourself out of it for too many years. But you right, know, you don't want to. Some teams go all in, but you know, it's you got a hard job. Those GMs, so they do because you don't want because it's not like losing helps you win. It's even though you say you might get a lottery play, look how many times Edmonton had to win the lottery before they finally got a lineup that they felt was capable of winning, yeah. and last year did some damage. Yeah, and then you see this year, I think that just speaks to kind of the parity in the league right mm-hmm. now. Yeah. Kind of get on a roll, get things going in the right direction, it's contagious, and kind of so forth the other way. Mm-hmm. You get down, because I know... Uh, five points behind in the standings, but it's hard to make up points in the second half of the year. You know, it's a dogfight. Every team is, is right in. You know, I think in the West they got, mm. they, 
I think it's the and if central division is like five points between second. That's right. And it's incredible. Division. There's so two divisions in the league that are wicked tight, and two that are really kind of blown open, or at least have a, a top and a bottom. To yeah, them. it's pretty distinct so far. But you know, even those teams in the second half, they like to play spoiler and try and claw their way back in. So it's points are hard to come by in that second half, and so mm-hmm. making them up is. It, it becomes a difficult task when you're playing. I think our schedule kind of ramps up too. It's hard to go all in every night like that and, and have enough energy. The math is tough because if you're behind, you need everybody to lose, and that almost can't happen when they got to play each other. Somebody's got to get those points. You need to win a lot of important games. You know those ones that are four pointers against teams that are above you. You need to win. Yeah. You need to be good. In those. Is this the best situation you've been in, team record wise, in your recent yeah. memory? Career? Yeah, yeah. Big time. No, it's, it's been fun. It must be enjoyable. Winning is fun. Get this view of the league. Yeah. <laughs> it's not one that I uh, had like, too often. You know, even when I was in Carolina, we had a couple of years where we were close to making the playoffs. But like I said, we were in a That's a hell of a division, second. too. So, uh, yeah, it's been, it's been fun so far. But we still got, I think, like 36 games left. And, Hopefully finish strong and be ready to go for the playoffs. All right. Thanks so much for your time. I yeah. appreciate it. Thanks for the game. Yeah. Thank you. Willie O'Ree, it's pretty nice that the city of Boston, the Bruins, and the NHL are doing uh, what they're doing, including a Willie O'Ree street hockey rink in the Smith Playground Renovation Project. The area is located off Western Avenue in the Alston-Brighton neighborhood near Harvard University's athletic facilities. On January 18, 1958, O'Ree broke the NHL's color barrier when the Bruins called him up for a game against the Canadians in Montreal. After a January 17 press conference involving Mayor Marty Walsh, NHL Commissioner Gary Bettman, Bruins CEO Charlie Jacobs, and Bruins Foundation President Bob Sweeney, the media was given some minutes to scrum with the principals, including O'Ree, who shared this story about two encounters with Jackie Robinson. I felt back after I retired that I wanted to give back, not only to the sport, but give back to the community what hockey had given me over the years. And the uh, hockey server program was a great program. I've been a skater for uh, 20 years. And thanks to Commissioner Bettman for appointing me the director of the uh, program back in 1998. It just happened to fall on my 40th anniversary of breaking the calendar. So it's just been a special deal for me. So uh, I'm very grateful and uh, thrilled. A lot's changed here at the TD Garden. Yes, it has. It has. And uh, for the best, yes. Well, I'd be thrilled. I really would be. If I was going to be. I only played 45 games in the NFL. Yeah, I'd be thrilled. It really would be, but uh, if it happens, it happens. And how about the fact that you were able to get that message across to these kids? Well, you know, I I, um, I just tell these boys and girls uh, about you know, how I grew up and, you know, setting goals for yourself and working towards your goals and feeling good about yourself, liking yourself. And I tell these boys and girls, I like myself. You know, if you like yourself, 
feel good about yourself. I'm going to have a negative attitude. I don't expect words to fight me. So, uh, and I just tell them that if you feel that you're choosing sports, then work at it and uh, stay focused on what you want to do. And uh, hard work. The, the first thing I said in my mind when I went to training, I said it was going to be probably 20 to 22 players kept on the team. And I said, I'm going to be one of the players, regardless of what I have to do, I'm going to be one of the 20 players that they're going to keep. If I have to skate faster or shoot harder, and that's the attitude that I had. And uh, when I went to training camp, I obviously had the team. Uh, I was traded, uh, you know, uh, during the season, but. The initial uh, training camp, uh, I made the team, and that's uh, that's that's uh, the way I felt about you know setting goals for yourself and working towards it. Any other questions? Oh, in the fifties. Well, you know the, the the Canadians were winning the Stanley Cup you know, throughout the year back then, but. Uh, uh, I had played. Uh, I had played against the, the Montreal Canadiens on, on several occasions at exhibition games, and I was no stranger to the fans in the, in the Montreal Forum because I played against the Canadians. I played against the Montreal Junior Canadiens, the Montreal Royals that were playing pro there. But uh, stepping on the ice uh, and playing my first game in the in the NHL it was, it was such a thrill. I uh, I just felt good about it and. Uh, Sat me down and uh, general manager Ben Patrick sat me down and said, well, we, we brought you up because we thought you could add something to the uh, team. Uh, go out, uh, just play your game, uh, rule organization behind you want to So basically that's what I did when we went out. We played, uh, we played well. We played good enough to, you know, shut them out. So it was a nice feeling to after the game. My, my parents came up to my hometown. You know, as I mentioned, I didn't read the commentary until I read the paper the next day. Really, how did you meet Jackie Robinson? What was that occasion, and, and um, how much of a hero was he to you? Well, he was, he was a big impact. Uh, when I was 14, I, uh, I was playing baseball in my hometown. Uh, we won the championship. Uh, the reward was our team was to be taken to New York to see the Empire State Building, Radio Music City Hall. I met uh, Mr. Robinson at Ebbsfield, uh, down the dugout. Uh, shook hands with him, told him that I not only played baseball, but I played hockey. And he didn't realize that there were any black kids playing hockey at that time. Uh, talked to him for about another four or five minutes, and then there were more media people come over. Then when I was traded to the um, Los Angeles Blades in 1961 in the Western League, in 1962, the NAACP had a luncheon in Mr. Robinson's honor. I got an invitation to the hockey club. Went to the, went to the hotel. Mr. Robinson was standing over in the corner talking to some media people. A coach and two other players were offside waiting for Mr. Robinson to finish. When he finished, the coach uh, came over and said, Mr. Robinson, I'd like to introduce you to uh, two players, uh, especially Willie O'Ree, uh, newly acquired from the Hull of the Canadians. And Mr. Robinson turned and he says, Willie O'Ree, he says, you the young boy I met in Brooklyn? Now that, I met him in 1949 and he remembered meeting me again in 1960, uh, 62. Uh, just, a, just a big impact. Just made a big impact. I got to play street hockey once with Mr. O'Ree uh, the summer that the Bruins had drafted Joe Thornton first overall, 1997. And uh, Thornton donned the goalie equipment uh, for that uh, street hockey game at Revere Beach. And um, the media was invited to play. 
And so I, I brought my uh, worn-down uh, wooden Sherwood PMP and get out there. And so Joe, Joe Thornton was the goalie on my team. Um, he was a happy-go-lucky kid just enjoying himself, even though it was 80-something degrees and sweltering humidity. He was wearing that goaltending equipment. Uh, meantime, the opponent included Jason Allison. And I was the F1 coming off the bench when Allison had the ball behind his own net. So I stationed myself between the circles out in front and heard in the background, get in there. And I thought, <laughs> no way. I'm not going to go make a fool of myself. Everybody's cheering for the Bruins, and we're their, we're their Washington generals. So uh, I'm thinking, oh, no, I'm going to pretend I did not hear Mr. O'Ree. Get in there. <laughs> so I'm thinking, oh, boy, here goes. So I tried to contrive this idea that, of how I might somehow try to outsmart Jason Allison. <laughs> I know it's kind of pretty stupid. So I'm going after him. I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to curl around the left post. And then I'm going to spin my body against the end boards and see if I can cut off whichever thing he would have done. Uh, of course, I'm, I'm going to fake like I'm going to run at the right post, and then I'm going to go at the left post and spin my body backwards and see if I can somehow just get a piece of the ball, his stick, something to disrupt him moving out. Of course, the very first step I take, he knows what I'm thinking, and he's already moving. I don't think he ever had to do anything other than walk with the ball before I was like running back up after him. Um, yeah, I know that that's a commentary on myself, but it was also fun uh, just to be in a street hockey situation with somebody uh, as, as brilliantly talented as that. It was, it was quite an experience. Um, so I also want to mention regarding Willie O'Ree and, you know, there've been opportunities to converse with, with him over the years and uh, quite a guy. If you heard the, the story, uh, make sure you play it. If you didn't, play it back. It's a great story about meeting Jackie Robinson. Uh, and it, really a testament to how Jackie Robinson was as a human being, um, even after he reached stardom. A person instrumental in bringing O'Ree's story to the attention of uh, Mr. Bettman in the NHL while working for the league in the 1990s was uh, a Bryant McBride, a former Trinity College player, who later represented NHL players as an agent, including then-Bruins Jason Allison and Byron Defoe. So uh, tip of the hat to Mr. McBride, with whom I had a, a minor association for a short time uh, when I was able to co-host the New England Hockey Journal radio show, and he was in partnership with uh, Eric Siemens from the Hockey Journal. Uh, finally, as if Wednesday, January 17th wasn't busied up enough by the Canadians' first appearance in Boston this season, the return of Claude Julien to Boston, the announcement of the Willie O'Ree Street Hockey Rink, late that afternoon, the Bruins threw this little nugget at us. Rene Rancourt is retiring after 42 years as anthem singer, effective at the end of the season. It just so happens that I spotted Rene Rancourt in the media meal room before Bruins game two weeks earlier, and decided I got to go talk to Rennie. He was sitting alone. I figured I could have a good conversation with him. So, of course, uh, I didn't have tape running or anything for this. I was just chatting him up. Um, we had talked about his start. I had known from prior conversations with him that he grew, had grown up in Lewiston, Maine, and his first language was French, that he had no hockey experience. Uh, and even even as Bruins anthem singer, he had been forbidden to sing O Canada, uh, the French uh, verses in French. He sings the whole thing in English. Uh, in bilingual Canada, uh, French is interspersed with English throughout the song. 
Uh, he did get a chance to do this at Gillette Stadium, though, on New Year's Eve 2015, which was the obviously the unfortunate day that Dennis Lang got injured. Uh, but at the alumni Bruins Canadians game, Rene Rancor sang the French verses in French. I don't know if he'll get that done one more time before it ends, but I know that he has stipulated to the team he wants the two anthem games. That's the only ones he cares about until this is over. And and obviously, uh, I'm sure that they'll be looking to. Uh, I'm not sure, but I'd like to think that, that they will certainly keep him on board with the playoffs. Uh, and, you know, we'll go from there and find out who's going to sing the national anthem. I will tell you this. On Level 9, the cynical media applauded uh, with great energy uh, to uh, this fella, Todd, who is the uh, bartender at the uh, AT&T Sports Deck. He uh, did such an awesome job. He reminded me of the guy at Chicago Stadium uh, and and uh, Rennie had heard him and thinks he's great too, and so um, just uh, wondering if there's any chance uh, that the Bruins' wheels are turning as far as a replacement goes with him in mind. Uh, we'll see. Uh, meantime, um, I've also been informed that a New Bedford-based uh, singer is going to uh, sing the national anthem at a game coming up shortly, and um, try to find out more about that very soon. One thing that Rennie mentioned to me. Uh, you know, he obviously talked about his start and how John Kylie, the organist, had recruited him. Uh, John Kylie played the organ at Fenway and at the Garden in the 60s and early 70s before Ron Harry took over in the later 70s uh, and into the 80s. But uh, John Kylie asked Rene Rancor if he wanted to sing. Well, he begins the 1975-76 season. Uh, one of the things Rene told me while we were having dinner that night, and I didn't read this in any of the stories that I saw, uh, following this announcement was that his one major regret was he never got to do a Bobby Orr game. And he does not know how close he came. Rancor was introduced to the Bruins fans during that 75-76 season after Orr had played his final 10 games uh, as a Bruin earlier that same season. Orr, whose bone-on-bone left knee had not held him back from an really what is under-celebrated his 74-75 season because the Bruins were on the downswing. The Oris Esposito Bruins era was coming to an end. Uh, they were almost identical in roster to the team that had finished first overall and lost to the Flyers in the 74 Stanley Cup. The next year, that, that Bruins team had really kind of lost its soul. But uh, quietly, Bobby Orr had one of the greatest years of anybody could ever have. He led the league in scoring, scored 46 goals, a career high. Paul Coffey's the only defenseman ever to top it uh, when he scored 48, I think, in 70, uh, uh, 86 with the Oilers. And, and Orr also finished with a plus 80, 80. Bobby Clark, who was plus 79 with the Flyers, who were tied for first overall and got it on wins and then repeated their Stanley Cup, uh, he won the Hart Trophy. Uh, that year, incredibly, uh, or got one more year when he had been bone on bone on his left knee for a few years. His first game that season was the first game played for the Bruins by Brad Park, John Rattel, and Joe Zanussi as the Esposito Vadney trade to the Rangers happened coincidentally with the return with, of Orr, his debut that season, which was uh, early November. 
of 75. Orr only played 10 games that year. The Bruins lost the first one out in Vancouver and then and then uh, won five and tied four. And Orr and Park as pointment on the power play, that power play went 38%. Orr's lead, his left knee locked up on him. My mouth is locking up now. Orr's uh, left knee locked up on him as he was about to board a plane to Chicago and he never played for the Bruins again. He had rehabbed the rest of the season. They were trying to re-sign him, and everything fell through at the end. And uh, we know he went to Chicago and, and played a, a little bit in 76, 77, and a few games in 78, 79, and, uh, and then retired. Uh, the changing of the guard was fully underway in Boston, and the Bruins shortly thereafter became the last NHL team to have its organist play scales before the faceoffs. You know how the organist uh, in the old days would go, da 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 or something like that. Well, the Boston Garden crowd booed when John Kiley began to do this. Rancor was also brought in during that time after to sing before games. And uh, for many years prior to, John Kiley had only played the anthem on his organ without a singer, as he had done at Fenway Park as well. And the summer of 76, uh, the Bruins fan experience continued to change as the first bank of luxury suites uh, was replaced uh, replaced the second balcony on the Causeway Street side of Boston Garden. And the post-or era was officially underway. So just a couple of tidbits there I wanted to stick in about Rene Rancor. He, he just barely missed Bobby Orr. It was like a passing train. The doors closed, and, and he never got to do an or game. Uh, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's amazing how close he had come to that. And... Uh, you know, you've read the story in Sports Illustrated about how Larry Bird would look up and see the, the number four banner uh, and the garden rafters and draw inspiration from it. Um, it's, it's pretty cool. So uh, this is going to be the end of an era for Rene uh, Rancor. He's really kind of one of the few links that goes all the way back to the heyday of Boston Garden. Well, that's it for this edition of Rink Wrap. Look for this podcast on Google Play, iTunes, and at southcoasttoday.com. Read Rink Wrap at blogs.southcoasttoday.com slash Bruins and follow on Twitter at Mick Collagio, M-I-C-K-C-O-L-A-G-E-O. So long and happy hockey, everyone.